Romans 3, Jeremiah 9, Genesis 15. How many were here last Sunday? Wasn't it awesome? It was really awesome. We, yeah, I, I wore a shirt that had uh, bus tracks on it because we had all been thrown under the bus. For four weeks, Paul was speaking to sinners like us. And it was like we showed up to a, a criminal's trial going, yeah, go get him, Paul, go get him. And all of a sudden he turns around and he goes, no, you're guilty. You're guilty. No, you're a sinner. To where at the beginning of the service last week, it was like we were a room full of condemned criminals. We were all under this banner that says sin. And it leads to a hallway that says death. Sin always leads to death. And that there's another banner over here that says righteous. And there's only one person standing underneath it. And it's none of you. And God stands up in Romans uh, chapter 3, the, beginning in like verse 10 or so. It's like God gets a chance to speak for himself. Paul has been speaking for him. And finally, Paul rests his case, stands under the banner with us. And it's like God looks around the room and says, None righteous. No, not one. Not a single one. No one in this room is good enough to let, for me to let into my heaven, God says, without ruining it. And then that most glorious Transition. Look at verse 21. Romans 3, verse 21. But now. Finally, quit talking about our sin. Start talking about God's righteousness. But now, the righteousness of God, apart from the law, is revealed. The righteousness of God. That means His righteousness. Available to you, to me, lawbreakers, sinners. We talked about this, and this is an important concept that will keep coming back. It's important to get. The righteousness of God is not a condition that you can achieve. It's a commodity, if you will, that God owns that you can only receive. The righteousness of God is not a condition you can achieve. It's a commodity. God's righteousness as opposed to Doug's righteousness, right? That you can receive. Paul is now speaking of, and he started last week, there's a way, he says, that's apart from the law. Because the law just reminds you, you are a sinner. There's a way that's apart from the law that you can become right with a holy God. Verse 22, even the righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ. There's the way. Faith in Jesus. Now we saw last week, not only is it apart from the law, but it is available to law breakers. Like you and me. It's available to anyone. And I mean anyone who believes, who trusts Jesus. Because it says, verse 22, Even the righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ to all and on all who believe. For there is no difference. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. If you were here, just to help you remember, we heard it in a southern drawl. This commodity, the righteousness of God, is available to y'all. And I was corrected last week. Apparently, if you're a real Southerner, you say, all y'all. <laughs> so, the commodity of the righteousness of God is available to all y'all. And on all y'all who believe, for there is no difference for y'all, all y'all have sinned. 
Now it's apparently correct. Every single one of us, all of you have sinned and fallen short of the estimation, in the estimation of God, of his glory. Now, when you do the math, that's really, really good news to all y'all. Me too. But think about what great news it is to that person in the room who thinks he's by himself more a sinner than others. That thinks, okay, I get it that God could love these people, but... What about me? What about the terrible things that I've done? Paul says, you think that you are not good enough for God to save? From God's perspective, do you understand that ain't none of you good enough? You've all fallen short, but the good news is that this righteousness is apart from the law. It's available to lawbreakers and it is accomplished by the Lord, not by you. Look at it, verse 24. Being justified just as if I'd never sinned. That's what that means. You're going to want to remember that too because we're going to see that. Matter of fact, let's do that. When I say justified, you just say it. Just as if I'd never sinned. Justified. (laughs) Okay, yeah. That was hard to to keep together, but good. Being justified just as if I'd never sinned. Freely. That means undeservedly. By His grace. That's a gift word, meaning it's a gift from Him. It's just because He's gracious. Through the redemption, that means to purchase a slave to set them free. The slave doesn't do anything. He just stands there and He's redeemed. Uh, That is in Christ Jesus, whom God set forth as a propitiation. That's a substitute payment. In the old days, it, it was the word they used for the animal sacrifice that paid the substitute for the blood of the man who had sinned. By his blood, by Jesus' blood, through faith to demonstrate his righteousness. Because in his forbearance, God had passed over the sins that were previously committed to demonstrate at the present time his righteousness that he might be just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. God has a way apart from the law where he can still call you righteous. And he can still be right in saying it. The four weeks before we got to last week were all about you. You, you, sinner, 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 criminal, condemned, seminar, sinner, all that. Seminole. Is that the same as criminal? Okay. <laughs> Gone to Medlin. All right. Four weeks before were all about you and your accomplishments, and it didn't look so good. Last week was awesome because it was all about God and His accomplishment. Look at verse... Matter of fact, I want to do this. Before we get to 25, just to kind of... And this, again, is going to be a continuing theme. I want to show you how it's not about you and what you do, how you perform. Will you do this with me? Every time I pause, I want you to read the word and it'll either be his or he. Verse 25. Whom God set forth as a propitiation by his blood through faith to demonstrate his righteousness because in his forbearance, God has passed over the sins that were previously committed to demonstrate at the present time his righteousness that he might, oops, sorry, he might be just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. You see right there? He, his, his, him, him. Not you, not you. His. That leads us now right into our text where we left off. Verse 27. So where is boasting then? 
it is excluded. The righteousness of God, this commodity of being right with a holy, righteous God, we've already established we're terrible sinners. The righteousness of God, by definition, then must exclude boasting, spiritual pride, because it's His blood, His righteousness, His forbearance. He is just, and He is also the justifier of the one who just has faith, just believes Him when He makes this offer. So according to Paul, Romans chapter 3, verse 27, there is no room for boasting. But we're born boasters, aren't we? Most of you know I'm not exactly the manliest of men when it comes to power tools, things like that. How many of you have kids and you've heard of Handy Manny? A few? None of you admit it? Maybe? You could call me Hardly Manny. Not a fan of camping, unless there's an RV attached, maybe. I don't own any power tools. Well, most of you know, we bought a house. We closed on it Wednesday. Woohoo! Yay! And we have been so amazingly blessed. In three days, our entire house has been painted by many of you. Woohoo! Even better. (laughs) Well, yesterday we started the, the next task, which is to put down the wood laminate flooring. Involves power tools. (laughs) And some very patient guys among you taught me some things, kept me from cutting my arm off. But by last night at 8 o'clock, last night, I'd been helping learn some, so I said to Lisa, Stand back, honey. Need to go out and use the rip saw. I'm going to rip this board, then I'm going to Take it here and I'm going to use the chop saw at a 45 degree angle. And I'm going to use the tapping block to install it. It's really quick, amazing how quickly we can boast. Now, it's... Actually, it looks pretty good, but it's not because of me. Now, here's the thing about, about boasting. It's funny when I do it. It's ugly when you do it. Boasting is always a lot more fun for the guy who does it than the person who hears it. Especially when it comes to spiritual matters. Don't you think it's true that one of the biggest things that keeps the people that you're praying for, the people that you love, that you want, that you want to come to church, that you want to experience the same love of God that you have, sometimes isn't their most righteous Legitimate complaint is that Christians are holier than thou. That Christians somehow forget that they are criminals condemned to die who have been released. Christians somehow boasting that we are righteous, that they are sinners, looking down at the rest of humanity as though somehow we achieved maybe part of our salvation. Paul says, wait a second. Boasting is excluded. The word excluded means shut out. Remember again the picture? We're all under the banner of sin, death. Jesus alone is under the banner that says, perfectly righteous, suited for heaven. Jesus says, come, come, 
just run to me. I can make you righteous. Whosoever will may come. Be declared righteous. But the scriptures say, when you go with him down that hall, boasting is excluded. Shut out. How did we get under the banner of sin? Do you remember? We had to take the perp walk. We had to admit, yes, I am a sinner at my core. So the weird thing is that happens sometimes. Jesus says, come. We run to Jesus. Our sin's forgiven. And we turn around and look at other sinners and go. (laughs) (laughs) It's. It's always funny to go. It's it's like two guys in an electric chair. Really, truly. One one gets a pardon. He's guilty of sin. He's been released. And he turns to the other guy and goes, aren't I awesome? How does that? that's, That's ugly. Listen, when you receive the commodity of God's righteousness, boasting, by definition, must be excluded. Shut it out. Leave it outside. There's going to be no bragging in heaven. Then, if there was, wouldn't it not really be heaven? Can you imagine a bunch of guys going, how'd you get here? I killed a lion with my bare hands. Like, comparing stories? That would be awful. In heaven, nobody's going to be bragging about how hot they are. Maybe in hell. Get it? How hot? Yeah. (laughs) Paul says there's no place for pride for rescued criminals like us. Here's your application. First, I guess, a pointed question. How many times have you looked down your nose at another sinner when the shackle marks are still fresh on your wrists and your ankles? This week, your application, act like a pardoned criminal because you are. Be rejoicing that you've been forgiven. And when you see another sinner say, I know somebody that can forgive you. Romans 3.27 Where is boasting then? It is excluded by what law? Of works? No. But by the law of faith. This took me a little while to get, but I think I understand it. What Paul is saying is, we're comparing two waves of salvation, right? There's the guy who thinks he can work on, uh, rely on his own righteousness and the guy who must rely upon the righteousness of Jesus. Which way of those allows boasting? The guy who thinks he can depend upon his own. Turn to Jeremiah 9. Hopefully it'll make sense. principle is that any kind of boasting before a holy God is ridiculous and ugly. Jeremiah 9.23 Thus says the Lord Let not the wise man glory in his wisdom Let not the mighty man glory in his might Nor let the rich man glory in his riches But let him who glories glory in this That he understands and knows me That I am the Lord Exercising loving kindness Judgment and righteousness in the earth For in these I delight Says the Lord Principle Old Testament, New Testament, boasting, especially for anything that God has done, is ridiculous and ugly. It's bad. Taking credit for anything that God has accomplished is ugly. Look at these verses again, 923. 
It's like the wise guy saying, hey, aren't I wise? You'd say, well, yeah, but sure are ugly. It's an ugly attitude you have there. Aren't I mighty? Yes, but ugly. Aren't I rich? Yes, but ugly. Aren't I beautiful? Yes, but somehow you've also achieved ugliness. Right? Pride is ugly. Now, I want you to hold on to Jeremiah 9 because we're coming right back. But turn back to Romans 3. I think what Paul is saying here is, look, of the two plans that I've shown you, the one where you save yourself and the one where the Lord saves you, which one allows for boasting? That ugly thing. The one where you save yourself. If I truly think incorrectly, but am somehow convinced that the righteousness of Doug will get me into heaven, if it's something that I think it's a condition that I can actually achieve... I'm going to naturally boast. Look what I did. But if instead I'm forced to say no, it's I, I have no righteousness, none. I am what God says I am, a guilty sinner. I must only receive his righteousness. Then there's no boasting in that. So Paul's saying, look, just, just the, the, the uh, boast factor that's attached to both of these should show you that this is the right way. Okay, verse 27. Where is boasting then? It is excluded by what law? Of works? That the word is ergon and it means hard work, performance. He says, boasting is excluded by the law of working hard? No, but by the law of faith. Verse 28. Therefore, we conclude that a man is justified by faith apart from the deeds of the law. Y'all, I'm the Lord. We're going to have a few more chances to really hopefully drill this into you. But if you've been praying for revival from this book, this is a concept that we all got to get. And just pray for me, for us, that we start to get it. It's not works. It's not works. It's by trusting Him alone. Paul says, look, you line up religion with relationship. Working really hard, performance-oriented versus Trusting Him, resting in Him, just believing what He says. Which one allows you to boast? To look down on another person. It's religion. Which one can only be gratefully accepted in His love? That is relationship. So guess which one is true, Paul says? The, the, the latter, by faith. Righteousness by works, working hard, performance, all that stuff. Think about this. Is a trap. The... the the thing that's appealing about it is that we get to boast. But think about where this leads you. If, if your righteousness is wrapped up in your performance, it's a lose-lose. The day that you do really good, you're like, hey, I did pretty good. Guess what? God resists the proud. The day that you do terrible, you're miserable and you don't feel connected to Him. Righteousness by works leads you win or lose, into a trap. But righteousness by faith is that grace that we're beginning to experience as we go through Romans chapter 3. Okay? Verse 28. Therefore, we conclude. You're going to want to know this word too. Logitsumai. Conclude. It's to add up. To add up. It means to reckon. Uh, it's an accounting term. To do the math, if you will. Therefore, we conclude that a man is justified... How many of you were paying attention last week? That means just as good. You guys did much better than the first service. But don't be proudful. 
justified. It means justified, never sinned. That's how completely God can make you righteous. Okay? He declares you righteous. It's an accounting thing that he does. Okay? Number one, the righteousness of God then excludes boasting. Number two, the righteousness of God is extended to bad people. Just like you and me. Look at verse 29. Or is he the God of the Jews only? Is he not also the God of the Gentiles? Now we say of course. Of course he's the God of the Gentiles because we've had a lot of time for that to become our culture. If you didn't believe that he was the God of the Gentiles also, you would not be here. You'd be at the synagogue yesterday, right? But you got to remember, when Paul wrote this, this was radical. The Jews used to think, literally, they had a saying that Gentiles, you guys, most of you, were just fodder to stoke the fires of hell. God made you so he could make hell a little hotter. Well, Paul has carefully shown throughout this book that Jews and Gentiles both need a Savior. Turn back, if you, if you remember, Jeremiah 9. I want to show you the end of that verse, that section. Thus says the Lord, let not the wise man glory in his wisdom, let not the mighty man glory in his might, nor let the rich man glory in his riches, but let him who glories glory in this, that he understands me, understands and knows me, that I am the Lord, exercising loving kindness, judgment, and righteousness in the earth, for in these I delight, say the Lord. Verse 25, behold, the days are coming, look at this, says the Lord, that I will punish all who are circumcised with the uncircumcised. You could write Jew with the Gentile. Verse 26, and here's a whole list of Gentile people. Egypt, Judah, uh, well, Edom, the people of Ammon, Moab, and all who are in the farthest corners who dwell in the wilderness. For all these nations are uncircumcised, and all the house of Israel, look at this, are uncircumcised in the heart. We've seen that before. Paul had made that argument. Look, just because you've had a ritual, a baptism, circumcision, whatever it is, on the outside, doesn't necessarily mean anything unless it matches that which is on the inside. Paul has pointed out here, the Jew who thinks that because he's circumcised, that's a free pass into heaven, is incorrect. Because God looks and goes, what about your heart? Your heart is not circumcised but uncircumcised. Now back to Romans chapter 3. Whether you have the outward sign and ritual, God sees the heart. And we are all under that banner of sin and wrath, right? Paul has shown now a way apart from the law to be saved, to be rescued. This, this thing is available to all lawbreakers, bad people. But it's only by faith. Matter of fact, you guys want to see again how important... Uh, this concept is. This is where Paul's going. When I say the word faith, I want you guys to say trusting because this is not just faith in God like I believe God. I believe that He exists. This means to trust God. Okay? Verse Romans chapter 3, verse 27. Whenever I say faith, you say trusting. Where is boasting then? It is excluded. By what law? Of works? No, but by the law of faith. trusting. Yeah fooled some of you. Therefore, we conclude that a man is justified by faith apart from the law, from the deeds of the law. Or is he the God of the Jews only? Is he not also the God of the Gentiles? Yes, of the Gentiles also, since there is one God who will justify, just as if I'd never been sinned, never sinned, the circumcised by faith, trusting, and the uncircumcised through 
faith, trusting, right. Paul's point here is God's righteousness, this commodity is not happened by performance, not by works, but by, he says it four times in this portion of scripture, faith, 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 or trusting, 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 trusting. See, this is my heart, and I believe it's, and I know it's the Lord's heart. Some of you still, you're starting to get it. You're starting to believe it maybe in your head, but you still think that your performance impacts your relationship with Him positionally. Like, oh, now He's mad at me. I think this should really help help you. Bear with me here. I think this will make sense when I'm, when I'm through. I hope. For the Jews of the day. Okay, the Jew would be reading this letter. And they would read this from Paul and they would go, whoa, that is radical. I can't believe he just said that. When they, see, when they would see the word Jew or circumcised, follow me so far, they would think, good, religious. Okay? But when they would see the word Gentile, they would think, bad, really bad. Now watch this. Verse 29. When you see the word good, or excuse me, Jew or circumcised, you say good, religious. When you see the word uh, Gentile, you say bad, really bad. Verse 29. Or is he the God of the religious? Is he the God of the good and the religious only? Is he not also the God of the bad, really bad? Yes, of the bad, really bad. Also, since there is one God who will justify the circumcised, that is the good, the religious, who think that they're good, by faith, and the uncircumcised, bad, really bad, through faith. I don't know if you're tracking with me, but no matter how good you are, you are not good enough. Both the pew potato and the prostitute are condemned. But here's the message once again. Anyone, I mean anyone who puts their trust in their faith in Jesus, this says God can make you just as if you'd never sinned. Verse 31. Do we then make void the law through faith? Certainly not. On the contrary, we establish the law. It's the the natural line of thinking. Wait, Paul, are you saying that the law doesn't matter? Are you saying that we can just do whatever we want and God's going to be happy with us? No, certainly not. Not at all. The word void there is katargeo. It means to render idle, unemployed, inactive, inoperative, uh, to cause to cease. See, the question is that that the hypothetical man is proposing to to Paul is this. Look, are you canceling out the law? Paul says, no, we're not canceling it out. We're not gutting the law with this gospel of grace. Where it says establish, certainly not we establish the law. That means to make firm. Track with me again. It means immovable. To uphold or sustain the authority or the force of anything. And he's going to spend the next few chapters doing just that. But I want to hopefully to help make this make sense to you. And that I kind of have just a tenuous grasp on this myself, so bear with me, but try to stick. Here we go. Remember this, this illustration that we keep bring, bringing back, the Pharisee and the tax collector. 
Remember the Pharisees, the guy who thinks he's righteous? He thinks he's good enough, right? He's like, I do this, I do this, I do this, I do this. Yeah, check them off, check them off, I'm good. And then there's the tax collector, right? Even today, people don't like tax collectors, right? He's the epitome of sin in this illustration that Jesus gave, this parable. The Pharisee, it says, prays with himself. He's not even really communicating to God, but he thinks he is. God, I thank you that I do this, that I do this, that I do this, that I check this off. And most of all, that I'm not like this guy. What a loser. He prayed with himself. And Jesus says, but there's this sinner, this really bad person who comes and all he says, he beats his breast. It's a sign of remorse. It's a sign of conviction. And he says, Lord, be merciful to me, a sinner. And Jesus says, which one of those guys was justified? Walked away just as if they'd never sinned. Guess who? The sinner. Now, here's where I want you to track with me. Verse 31, Paul is saying, look, we're not destroying the law. No, in fact, we're upholding the law. We're making it immovable. I want you to think about this. The Pharisee, he says, yeah, the law's up here. And I've done this and this and this and this and this and this and this. Let's, let's say in his mind he's here. He has now moved God's law down to where he is. The, the sinner says, I am here. And God's righteousness is here. I agree with you, God. I can't do it, but I trust you. God says, you have not moved my law. I will bring you up to that place. Does that make sense? It's the sinner who actually agrees with God's law, even though he can't keep it, who is having God's law immovable. Okay, verse uh, verse 1 of chapter 4 now. Paul wants to give an example that the righteousness of God excludes boasting and it's extended to bad people. And he's going to begin now to give examples. We're only going to cover the first one, the first part of the first one with Abraham. Verse one, what then shall we say that Abraham, our father, has found according to the flesh? In other words, you want to talk about righteousness. And we all agree that Abraham is kind of the the, the prototype, right? Think about this. Abraham would be to the Jews as George Washington would be to us. Right? He's the, the, the forerunner. So Paul brilliantly calls to the witness stand none other than Abraham. Okay? The quintessential Jew, the father of all Jews. And he says, Paul says to us, okay, let's, let's figure out what would Abraham have to say to us about this thing called the righteousness of God. Chapter 4, verse 1. What then shall we say that Abraham, our father, has found according to the flesh? What was his experience? Verse 2. For if Abraham was justified by works, he has something to boast about. Now think about this. Paul's hypothetical here. He says, if in fact Abraham was right with God because of performance, he, something he, he was just really a great performer. Paul says, if when you get to heaven... And you meet Abraham, you discover that he earned his way into heaven. If somehow Abraham can look at you in his robes and go, look what I did. Paul says, then you may have a point. But if I can prove to you that he didn't, then would you agree with me that righteousness is not something that even Abraham achieved? It was something he received. 
Verse 2. For if Abraham was justified by works, he has something to boast about, but not before God. Now, I dare say, if we're on a human level, Abraham has plenty to boast about before you and me. Right? If we are comparing ourselves to him, don't you think if he wanted to, Abraham could stand up here, say, Doug, sit down. I have something to say. Look, I'm in heaven. This is the hypothetical. I'm in heaven because I was willing to sacrifice my son. Which one of you is willing to do that? Don't you think if he was, if we were going that direction, as ugly as even that looks, that, that's, that's what it would be. Would God, what would Abraham say to you? I was willing to sacrifice my own son, my own daughter. Well, you fed a few homeless people? Is that it? I mean, wouldn't heaven be a drag if Abraham, the first person you meet, that's, what he, that's the standard? He says, yeah, that's what I did. Abraham could boast, it says, before you and me, but it says not before God. And that's where Paul's going here. He says, verse 3, for what does the scripture say? By the way, it's a great principle. What does the scripture say? Not what does this person say or this person. Not what uh, does public opinion say. Not even what Pastor Doug says. What does the scripture say? It says, Abraham believed God. And it was accounted to him for righteousness. Turn with me to Genesis 15. You're going to see where he said those words, where where these words were written. See, Paul is getting now at the crux of how salvation works. Right? It's a commodity that's given to you, but it's only given by faith. It's not given by anything that you accomplish. Genesis 15, verse 1. After these things, the word of the Lord came to Abram in a vision, saying, Do not be afraid, Abram. I am your shield, your exceedingly great reward. I love that because it's already speaking of relationship, right? Speaking, the Lord speaking tender words to Abram. Verse 2. But Abram said, Lord God, what will you give me seeing I go childless and the heir of my house is Eliezer of Damascus? Then Abram said, Look, you've given me no offspring. Indeed, one born in my house is my heir. In other words, there's going, right now what it looks like is this servant of mine, I'm going to have to settle for his son to be my son. Track with me. What Paul is saying, or Abraham is saying is, to God is, look, you promised, but I don't see this promised son anywhere. Verse 4, And behold, the word of the Lord came to him, saying, This one shall not be your heir, but one who will come from your own body will be your heir. Then he brought him outside. I love this. Again, in a relationship, God saying, Come here, Abram, I want to show you something. He brought him outside and said, Now, look toward heaven And count the stars if you are able to number them. I wonder if God was like, I'll wait. Go ahead, just try. Try to count. No, okay, you're giving up? All right. So shall your descendants be, what God says. Look, I've promised it hasn't happened yet. But I'm telling you, your descendants will be that innumerable. I don't know if you're seeing it, but this is the crux. This is right where it happens. Abraham, it says, believed God, and it was accounted to him for righteousness. You guys know that the circumstances around this, Abraham is probably 85, 90 years old. And God is saying, trust me. Trust me. 
You will have a father. You, you will father a son, excuse me. You will father a son. As a matter of fact, he says, your sons will be like the stars in the heavens. They will be innumerable. Do you understand right here at this crux, Abraham has a choice. Am I going to look at my circumstances? Am I going to listen to my 85, 95-year-old body? Or am I going to believe God that I'm going to father many nations? And y'all, this is before Viagra. 90 years old. 90 years old, and he has a choice. Either he listens to himself and to what he thinks he knows, or to listen to God, and you know the choice. You can go back to Romans chapter 4. His choice was he believed in the Lord, and watch this. The Lord said, righteous. He believed in the Lord, and he accounted it to him. God accounted it to him for righteousness. This is a really important word. If you don't remember any other word from today's message, remember this, accounted. It means to put on the credit side of the ledger. It's an accounting term. It's a banking term. Um, Actually, yeah, let, let me back up. I want you to see how uneventful, first of all, this verse 6 is uh, of chapter uh, of Genesis 15, 6. It basically says that God, he just believed him. Abraham didn't go out and do these mighty things. Abraham just went, okay, I believe you. It's that simple. You look at it from the outside, you're like, that's it? God accounted it to him for righteousness. Not like Abraham killed a lion with his bare hands and God called him righteous. Abraham fed the homeless, walked on water, taught Sunday school. He never sinned again and God counted him righteous. No, Abraham trusted. He just believed God and God, it says, accounted it to him for righteousness. Now, let's talk about that word, accounted. Logizomai, to add up, to reckon, to put in the credit account. And the reason I want to spend so much time on this is because you're going to see this again and again. Accounted, logizomai. If I were to go into your bank account and put in $100,000 on your behalf, you're okay with that? Yep. Okay, let's say a million, since it's never going to happen anyway. <laughs> As a matter of fact, let's say you had a $500,000 debt. And I went into your account and I paid the five hundred dollars, five hundred thousand, and on top of that, I put in one million dollars. Logizomai, it's to put to your credit. You didn't do anything, it just is to your credit. I want to show you why this word is so important. You guys ready? Again, I think we were maybe a little bit asleep. First service, let's see if you guys can do better. But don't be prideful. Here we go. Every time I pause, I want you guys to... Um, matter of fact, I'll, I'll, about this. Every time I pause, you guys just say, do the math. All right? That'll work. Verse 3. For what does the scripture say? Abraham believed God and it was accounted to him for righteousness. Now to him who works, the wages are not counted... As grace, but as debt. Verse 5. But to him who does not work, but believes on him who justifies the ungodly, his faith is accounted for righteousness. Just as David also describes the blessedness of the man to whom God imputes, 
Do the same word, logizomai, righteousness apart from works. Blessed are those whose lawless deeds are forgiven and whose sins are covered. Blessed is the man to whom the Lord shall not impute, do the math, sin. Now, does this blessedness then come upon the circumcised only, those who keep the religious rituals, or upon the uncircumcised also? For we say that the, that faith was accounted, do the math, to Abraham for righteousness. How then was it accounted? Was it while he was circumcised or uncircumcised? Just well, We're going to talk about that next time, but basically the answer is, Genesis 15 was what the part we just read. The circumcision comes not till Genesis 17. Do the math. It's accounting for righteousness before the righteousness appears in any way that we would recognize. Um, Verse 11, And he received the sign of circumcision, a seal of the righteousness of the faith. It's a sign, it's a seal, which he had while still uncircumcised, that he might be the father of all those who believe, though they are uncircumcised, that righteousness might be imputed, do the math, to them also. Okay, I want to stop there because I don't want to overload you. This word, imputed, or accounted, or counted, logizomai in the Greek. You know how many times you find it in the New Testament? 41 times in the New Testament. 35 times it's used by Paul, our writer here. 19 times in this book, Romans. And 11 of those times in this chapter. That talks about the righteousness of God. The plan of God's salvation. Can you do the math it's him 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 he accounts to righteousness and all he is looking for is trust trust me you say i could never i could never be forgiven of this sin god says watch me trust me put your faith in me and let me account it to you for righteousness we're going to see this over and over again. The righteousness of God is not achieved, but accounted. It's not a condition you can achieve, but a commodity that you must receive. And it's only by faith, by trusting him. Not by trying real hard, but by trusting a real God. As we close, application for you. Are you still somehow trying to earn favor with God? Now, I'm not telling you not to behave righteously, but it's not about behaving, it's believing. And then when you believe and you're counted righteous, then you start behaving. If you try to behave before you believe, you'll be miserable. Does that make sense? It's trusting Him. Are you still trying to earn favor with God to be right with Him? Is, I hope you've seen this morning, amazingly uneventful. On our side. We just. Okay Lord. I believe you. It's accounted. To your account for righteousness. Quit trying real hard. Start trusting a real God. We, uh, we've looked at exhibit A. Abraham. Next time. Next Sunday actually. We're going to see David. Exhibit B. That God does extend this righteousness. To people who've done really bad things.